0: Orioles Blessed Tide is a floating holiday in the Forgotten Realms, where people in Waterdeep dress in white and don't eat hot food to appease the frostbait in hopes of a mild winter. The Wonders of Gond was a holiday randomly determined by the Church of the Wonderbringer, in which they encouraged people by making gadgets and toys to hand out to people to brighten their spirits. Sounds familiar? Winter Shield is the first day of the year where people gather to discuss the previous year. Oh, it's a nice New Year's Eve holiday. New Year's holiday, you know? Look at maps and talk about politics. Um, okay... This is how you know the Forgotten Realms is a fantasy world, because no one thinks explicitly talking about politics on purpose during the holidays is a good idea. Unless you really want to fight, then it's a perfectly wonderful, acceptable idea. Flavor to your own taste and get that nod. Happy New Year and Happy Holidays from Thaco with Advantage.
1: And now we present to you Thaco with Advantage.
0: Welcome to Thacko with Advantage. We're two friends that have been playing d and a long time. While we both love lots of other RPGs, D&D taught us when to bring the snacks. Hi, I'm Ange, and I've been gaming for over 35 years. In 2014, I started writing for Gnome Stew, and I've been running the Gnome Cast, the Stew's podcast, since 2017. And in 2021, the whole head gnome thing. <laughs> if you send a guest submission to write an article for us i'm the one that gets to review it so yeah there we go
1: <laughs> and i'm jared the review gnome at gnome Two, and i've been gaming since roughly 1985 in addition to writing reviews at gnome 2 i've got my own site what do i know jr.com where i write additional reviews and opinion pieces on a variety of rpgs after we look at the games we're running in the campaign journal we'll be looking at the different styles of play in D games everything ranging from beer and pretzels casual to deeply immersive wine and cheese style games then we'll have some recommendations of D&D-related content for you to check out in our downtime research segment. Let me just finish up this campaign journal.
0: So, since our last episode, I've gotten to play in both the Undermountain game and we relaunched the City of Cows campaign. Oh, for nice. what Should be our final chapter for that game. Very exciting. Uh, in Undermountain, we are definitely no longer in Waterdeep underneath <laughs> the city in Undermountain. We're currently following up on the previous mystery we were involved in, where as part of that, we found our names in a book, along with the names of some dead people with this whole oracle thing. Uh, And basically, we are currently now in Schultz headed towards a place with a lot of fire in the name to... (laughs) I don't remember if we're recovering something or killing somebody. But we're doing a thing. We're doing a thing. (laughs) So this previous session we played had us arrive, and we ended up finding a guide to help us through the jungles of Chult, who asked us to help her recover an item that had been stolen from her by some terrafolk. That's basically a mashup of folk and pterodons. (laughs) So uh, we got to have a fun trek through the jungle across a dangerous monkey bridge, And then we got to fight a couple of T-Rexes that were attacking a herd of Triceratops.
1: Just to clarify, you say monkey bridge. Is this a bridge made out of monkeys or a bridge (laughs) that had monkeys on it?
0: (laughs) It was a bridge that had a whole bunch of monkey statues on it. And we had to walk across the bridge in a particular fashion to avoid waking up the monkey statues. And we could hear monkeys in the trees. I think they said, he said the bridge was called the Screaming Monkey Bridge. Oh,
1: okay. That's a nice yeah. place to visit.
0: Yeah, nice place to visit. <laughs> Wouldn't want to live there. The T-Rex fight. That's, that's the fun part. Because in our path, we have this whole, you know, these triceratops that are getting upset and running through the jungle. And then we realize they're being chased. There was this whole debate about, do we even get involved in this? And I'm like, yes, we get involved in this. <laughs> I'm a freaking fighter. I get to punch a Triceratops in the face, okay? <laughs> so Tad, who is our... Oh, crap, what is he? He's, he's a frog person. A grung. A grung, yes, a grung. Anyway, Tad is a grung who happens to be a combination of monk, bard, <laughs> warlock, and sorcerer for a lot of reasons, and he has flavored all of his spells as various grung things that he can do and one of the things he can do is enlarge and he calls it big frog and we've gotten this down where he will turn my fighter selena into big frog which just means he casts enlarge on her and she is now large instead of medium at which point i ran up and started you know attacking the t-rexes and the whole time uh Bryn, our our half orc sorcerer was like why are we doing this why are we getting involved these things better be good eating. And it's like, you don't want to eat a T-Rex. They're nasty. They're predators. Yeah. They, they're not going to taste as good.
1: But but it's a miniature Kaiju fight. That's what you want to get involved in.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. And I actually even got to make a an uh, animal handling role to basically try and deal with, you know, get the triceratops, because they're herd animals, get the triceratops to be like, this now large squishy thing is attacking the bad thing with the teeth and not us, so I guess it's helping us defend the nest <laughs> so we won't trample it and their friends, but it was, it was pretty cool. We ended up at uh, this tower called the Firefinger, which was like this natural stone tower which had had stuff carved into it, and we spent a lot of time debating on uh, how to get up this tower because our guide's thing was supposedly at the top of the tower. Now, you must understand with this group, our sorcerer has winged boots so she can fly. We have a grung and a tabaxi, both of which have a natural climb speed. (laughs) And our warlock has a cloak of arachnidia, which means he can walk on walls. (laughs) So the only two people in the party who couldn't fly were Selena, me, the fighter, and Arima, our cleric. And so in the end, after we were arguing, 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 we finally had Tad cast Fly on Selena, and she just carried Arima and our guide (laughs) up the rest of the way. So we had a fight with some terrafolk at the top. That was pretty awesome and got the thing, and that's where we paused and we'll deal with treasure next week. More importantly, and I, I don't mean more importantly, <laughs> both games are a lot of fun, but I have a deep love for the City of Cowles campaign. We did not see any action, but we all got to meet, get together in person, and we had a great time settling back into our characters and figuring out what to do next. The last time we played this game, the veil between the world and the abyss had kind of fallen and demons were coming through and attacking everything we knew and loved. And we were told by one of our mentors, Nix Estan, a very scary gnome wizard. I know gnome wizard doesn't seem like it should go with scary, but trust me, Nix is scary. You don't want to be on her bad side. <laughs> she told us to go to the Celestial Plains and seek help. And one of our members of the party, Modrin, is a Celestial Warlock who's essentially a baby angel on Rumspringa. <laughs> That's the whole shtick of his character. He's sent down to the earth to experience things before he goes up and takes his place in the heavenly echelons. So we went to his home, and then from there went to, I don't know the names of the planes, but it's the planes where all these gods can gather and all of that. <laughs> we first met with the Archon representatives of the gods, who, it was it was like basically being on a customer service call where you get to the first person and they can't help you. So you have to ask to speak to the manager. <laughs> so we were told, okay, they'll go get the actual gods and bring them in. So we had some time to go around and do some, uh, some investigation in the library and talk to people and try and find resources for the people we left behind still fighting and all that. Cause we cast, hallow on our favorite bar so it's now this special (laughs) sacred place in the city that is protected from the demons i mean there were reasons we cast hallow on it's our it's our favorite bar (laughs) and you know then we had these scenes with the gods basically trying to explain to us why they couldn't get directly involved but us trying to be like look your worshipers are down there You owe them more than just saying, sorry, our hands are tied. Tristan did a really good job of striking a balance between hammering home the fact that we were mortals in the presence (laughs) of beings of impossible power, while also making it so we could have an actual conversation with them. I had fun playing Dove being kind of in awe at first, and then reaching the point where it's like, God damn it these are just more assholes in power isn't it (laughs) and starting to give them sass and convince them to do more to help us in the end they gave us each well first of all they explained that to solve the problem without them just resetting the world and starting over from scratch which we don't want them to do because all of my stuff is down there (laughs) to solve the problem we needed to go kill asmodeus
1: oh that's simple
0: Okay, that sounds simple. And that's something that Anu, our tiefling uh, rogue, has wanted to do (laughs) since the campaign started because she would like her soul back. Thank you very much. Okay, how do we (laughs) do that? So we got told about some various artifacts that should help us actually take on Asmodeus, which will basically probably get us through another few levels of leveling up these characters to the point where we can take on Asmodeus. But we also each got a boon. From the various gods to help us on this journey, along with being told where to go to recover these artifacts and these things that will help us. We ended up getting teleported to a temple of Tiamat, where some of these items, one of these items, are, and we were greeted by a blue dragon as a cliffhanger <laughs> went across the screen. And we get to find out what happens when we play again. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
1: You mentioned that one of these games isn't more important than the other, but I happen to notice <laughs> in one of these games you really just wanted to roll initiative and beat up on something, and on the other, in the other one, you have this deep, long-standing story with connections to all sorts of things. I wonder if we could get a topic out of that.
0: I wonder if there's a topic <laughs> about that.
1: But before we examine that, I would just like to say the only gaming-related thing that uh, I've done since our last recording. Is something we may talk about in the future, but it is not this day. (laughs) So mainly I've just been having lonely fun making characters on Roll20's character builder now that you can use it outside of a specific game. So (laughs) I've been playing with all my little options and going, hey, all the people that I play with don't have these. So I'd have to really talk them into letting me play this like Minotaur Warlock of the Sybil. So that's that's been what I've been doing
0: you've gotten to do some stuff you just can't talk about it all and yeah and i mean like there is a long-standing history in role-playing games of just sitting there and making characters yep this is a thing i have never been capable of doing but i have plenty of friends who are like they have just sat there and made character upon character upon character that they've never ever gotten to play they just made a character
1: what's really funny is when i do stuff like that I will make like either the most, you know, over the top. This is the most minotauri minotaur that's ever minotaured or the exact opposite. Like this is, you know, (laughs) a minotaur wizard that does not like to get their hands dirty and, you know, that sort of thing. And the funny thing is half the time when I make those really extreme characters, they're fun to build, but I don't end up playing them. I usually like make something less over the top when I actually make something to play says the person who is currently playing a good Yankee uh of uh <laughs> circle of stars <laughs>
0: um there there's there's something to be said about finding the and this is probably a completely other topic that we can put a pin <laughs> in uh but there's something to be said between finding the balance between making a mechanically functionally awesome character mm-hmm. and a character that is fun to play yeah my buddy chris who made tad this completely off the wall grung mixture of classes that he just chose because he felt like the abilities gave him something vaguely frog-like mm-hmm. or it the warlock is because he picked up uh sentient swords <laughs> to sentient swords him. but in a previous campaign he made a character that i i could not tell you what the character was But it was a mechanically awesome character in that in one round, he could do three attacks and do something like 80 damage regularly, (laughs) but he wasn't having any fun with the character because it was a one-trick pony, Mm -hmm. even though it took a couple of classes to make that one-trick pony. It was just not fun for him.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Workshop.
0: Moving on into the Dungeon Masters Workshop, we've spent the last year and a half talking about D&D here on the podcast, but we've never really dug into the different ways that D&D is played. While we all may be ostensibly playing the same game, not everyone plays it the same way, and we wanted to dig into that topic a bit and talk about the different styles of play we have here with D&D and this hobby in general. So what are some of the styles of play that you can think of?
1: Because we care about our listeners, we decided to frame all of our game terminology around foods, especially since (laughs) it's getting close to the holiday season. We started thinking about beer and pretzel games and all of the rest of this terminology kind of exploded out from there. So (laughs) blame me for being hungry. Beer and pretzel games are kind of prioritizing immediate fun and action over long term development to deep story elements. Buffet games are games where there might not be a lot of continuity carried over from one session to the next. Full course games are games where stories carry elements from session to session to build on one another. And wine and cheese games are games prioritizing interaction with the story elements of the game with deep interpersonal development.
0: So what style of play did you start with when you began playing?
1: So I can't say that it was beer and pretzels because I started playing when I was 12 and that would <laughs> say really bad things about me.
0: It might've been root beer and pretzels.
1: <laughs> um, Actually, it was like horrible amounts of Mountain Dew and Funyuns. <laughs> So, (laughs) we played a lot of you know stumble into this place with traps and monsters what are you going to do next type of games but i am pretty insufferable about adding story elements to almost anything so by the time i was running in the forgotten realms which is when i was about 14 or so i started adding tons of stuff that were story elements whether they made sense or not because i really (laughs) liked that kind of connective tissue even if the players weren't engaging with it much i was enjoying it so like I was saying, hey, don't you understand? This guy is a member of the Zentarum, But are we supposed to kill him? Yeah, you're supposed to kill him.
0: (laughs) Pretty much the same as you. I can't really call it beer and pretzels, but the way I played when I was a teenager and just getting started is pretty similar to the way I hear beer and pretzel games described today. The continuity might have been there, but the story wasn't the important part exploring and fighting monsters were the key elements that everyone was there for i can't even really say that we were there for tactics because <laughs> we were not that tactically minded it was more just you know explore and screw around and find out <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think there are different styles of play i mean it's the same game we're all playing D d why are we playing it differently
1: I think the best answer that I can come up with is that for me personally, sometimes I want to watch Mortal Kombat and sometimes I want to watch the extended edition of all the Lord of the Rings movies. (laughs) You know, if you really like one of those more than the other, you might do it more often, but you still get a hankering to do both of them every so often.
0: I would say different people want different things out of their time in the hobby. While I think we're all looking for a little bit of an escape from our daily lives, some folks want light casual fun whereas others that escapism might come from diving deep into a story and the deeper continuity you can find in role-playing games. I also think there's an aspect of people learning to run what they were comfortable playing and developing their skills related to that style.
1: Yeah I agree.
0: I definitely probably lean a little more towards wine and cheese in general. Whereas I'm here for the story and even back in those days of we were just running into a dungeon to see what happened, I was still kind of like all about the actual role playing and, and the cool fantasy elements of it. Um, whereas I know other people that just they're, that's not what they're looking for out of their time spent in the hobby. So let's define what does beer and pretzels play mean?
1: Originally, beer and pretzels games were about games in general that had a set of rules that didn't require much from the people playing the game. They had a lot of randomness and didn't require a lot of strategy. That definition of a type of game really kind of morphed into a type of campaign that people might play. I think especially when you have already internalized the rules of D&D, even if it's not simple, it's simple to you because you know how to play the game. Right. So... You're looking for other aspects of the campaign to be simple.
0: You talk about the rules don't require much. And the funny thing is, is I think a lot more non D&D rules light games are all about diving into the emotion <laughs> and the story. And the, they're like, those are totally now on your charcuterie tray.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, I think a l- it just kind of turned into this idea that you're not going to worry about explaining why. They ran into a dragon. It's just, it's a cool time to fight a dragon. And all of the nuances of these encounters where people show up, people show up expecting to roll initiative and beat up monsters. That's what a beer and pretzels game really is.
0: And it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean there's no role playing. People, You know, sometimes people get, you know, enjoy having their funny voices for their characters or, you know, just being obnoxious with the way their character is played. But it's that it's the continuity isn't there. It's just about, I'm here to roll some dice and have some fun. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that it started as something referring to light rules, probably for board games, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking that's...
0: Yeah, I've almost always heard it related to moderately crunchy games like D&D, where people want to just relax, let off steam without too much worry about story or continuity. Um... Folks who want to get together, have some laughs, let off steam, roll some dice. So on the other end of this arbitrary spectrum that we've made up, what are people (laughs) looking for in wine and cheese games?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think we need a pat on the back just in case Um, anyone no one else has used this term because that means we (laughs) came up with it. Um, But like what we're talking about with wine and cheese games, it's the style of play where people want a lot of texture in the campaign to interact with material that isn't necessarily resolved quickly it's a game where you're building a lot of fuel so that you have a slow burn to the campaign like Mm -hmm. you might talk to somebody and they might become a long-term person that you go to that forms a friendship and then eventually they have something to do with the plot but they don't have something to do with the plot until a lot later
0: right you have npcs that mean something throughout the campaign Mm -hmm. they're games that They have deep stories with expansive role-playing in all of the scenes. Um, And the players are more concerned about their characters' relationships than just what monster they're going to fight. When compared to beer and pretzels, the style might be considered slightly higher-brow. Though, to be fair, there are people in the larger RPG community who don't think you can truly have this (laughs) style of game in D&D. There's a whole discussion that can be had about mechanics creating styles of play and that D&D is designed primarily to be for strategy and dice rolling. But I, I know you can have this type of campaign and deeper engagement in the story within D&D. And I think most critical role in Dimension 20 fans will also agree with me.
1: Oh, yeah. Even as we were talking about, you know, that NPC that you set up that, you know, becomes a long-term person that shows up later in the campaign and is much more important, but for a while, he's just somebody you bounce off of. I immediately thought of Gilmore in Critical Role. Mm -hmm. Like, this was a shop owner that Bax would go in and uh, flirt with, basically. Long-term, he becomes, like, a member of the uh, council, and he's helping them after the dragons, you know, do things which I won't spoil for anyone because it's a TV show now, but... (laughs) (laughs) The point is, though, it did. It started off as like an NPC where Matt gave them more details about someone that owned a shop instead of just saying, yeah, there's a shop, you can buy stuff here.
0: Well, and Matt obviously had a lot of fun role playing the character of Gilmore. So it's these games where this type of thing can grow. And like, you can have these one off goofy characters that the GM enjoys role playing in a beer and pretzels game, but they generally... Stay in that scene and just fade into the past and just become GM picks up somebody new in the next town the players are in, whereas in a wine and cheese game, it's more we are savoring these things and how they grow with the story we're all creating together. Yeah. What about other styles, the stuff in between beer and pretzels and wine and cheese?
1: So I think what's what's interesting as as we started to kind of break down these different styles of games, it's almost like a slider between the beer and pretzels and the wine and cheese. But with most things, if you have an in-depth discussion, you start having more than one axis. which is where I came up with the the really dumb buffet and full course <laughs> meal things. Forgive me for that. But basically, it's kind of looking at the difference between things that are more episodic versus things that are more serialized. And I don't necessarily think episodic and serialized automatically go with, you know, beer and pretzels or wine and cheese, because I think you can have like that deep interaction with lots of texture in a wine and cheese game. And the thing that that reminds me of is like the old nineties X-Files series, because you would have all of the monster of the week episodes where you would meet people and learn little things about the setting, but you didn't build on them from episode to episode. But then there were like these things towards the end of the season that were called like the mythology episodes where they kind of advanced the plot of the conspiracy that was going on and all of that stuff started clicking into place. But the Monster of the Week episodes didn't care about that so much as it was just seeding you stuff that was later going to come up in those mythology episodes.
0: I actually liked a lot of those Monster of the Week episodes. Some of those are fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, and I also got frustrated because a lot of the mythology episodes in later seasons solely existed to reverse you know, things that you thought you knew from the previous ones, and then it felt like you actually didn't gain anything at all from any of the mythology episodes. But that's a whole other thing. It's
0: a whole other topic, <laughs> and I want to give the X-Files a little bit of a pass because it was one of the first shows that actually took a chance with doing any of this stuff, yes. even if it didn't do some of it well. Yeah, We're spoiled and- now.
1: And if you really want to go off on this whole off-ramp of 90s shows that played with being more serialized than it was uh, episodic, also watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: There's a combination of styles you could see at a table. I'm not sure beer and pretzels versus wine and cheese is a binary spectrum to begin with. I know a lot of people whose style is a mix of the two of those and the very, you know, like pulling pieces from them. Like I know people who will have a deep continuity for their game, but they're still completely there to just mess around and have dice Mm -hmm. like my friend's game where her party carried a couch throughout the entirety of the Sword Coast because they found it and it was cool and they wanted to bring it with them. It was a completely ridiculous game that was not taken super seriously at all, but they still had the continuity of what happened from session to session.
1: Okay, I'm going to bring up another TV analogy show, which is terrible, (laughs) and I don't know if anybody even watched this, but um, the Iron Man animated series that was in the 90s, my example is going to be how even campaigns may transition from being a beer and pretzels game to later on somebody going, eh, I want a little bit more of that wine and cheese. And the first season of that Iron Man cartoon was absolutely terrible, and it was very much like Standard 80s cartoons where you had the Mandarin and all these supervillains that worked for the Mandarin. So they don't do things on their own. They only work for the Mandarin. The Mandarin does things every week. It's a new plot every week. Every week he is defeated by Iron Man and people that would have been on Force Works, but they didn't call them Force Works. So it was very much that 80s style of everything is episodic. Here is the Mandarin's latest plot, and Tony and all of his friends defeat the Mandarin and all of his friends. And nothing ever really changes from episode to episode other than that there is a new you know, thing to foil.
0: It's the syndication thing that most TV shows from the 60s, 70s, and 80s all had to fall into. You needed to start at a point in the episode and end pretty much at the same point in the episode. So when the show had enough episodes to go into syndication, it didn't matter when somebody started watching an episode. It would They'd yeah. understand what was going on. You couldn't have the characters change or grow Much.
1: Yeah. And what was interesting is season two of that same Iron Man series. I think part of it was kind of learning from the 90s X Men series and why that was popular at the time. But the second season, all of a sudden, like the Mandarin was defeated at the end of the first season. And there's like this underlying thing that's going on and all these things about the Mandarin trying to get back to who he was. And when he tries to get back to who he was, he actually becomes more of the comic book Mandarin, where it's like, this is a scary guy that doesn't keep coming up with goofy plots that you defeat week after week. And a lot of the stories in that second season were adapted from the Iron Man comics rather than just being this 80s cartoon formula that was going on. So it was kind of this this change from like we all got together, we were all having fun, we were all beating up the bad guys, but this is just not what we want to do long term. So now let's start building in some things that have texture that we can latch onto so that the story gets, you know, more and more In depth. And I actually think a lot of campaigns to bring this back around to DD and not just 90s television. (laughs) I think a lot of campaigns end up doing that too. I think a lot of times some of the stuff that you're doing in like tier one adventuring is kind of that whole hit or miss. We're just doing this to see what kind of party we are. And after that develops, when you get into like tier two characters and tier three characters, is when you start getting that idea that some of this other stuff mattered and you cared about it. And you start kind of building it into something that is more than just that, you know, here's the thing to fight this week.
0: So what do you do when you have a group of players that want different styles out of the same game?
1: That can be really rough because you have players with different expectations. I ran a multi-year game where I had one player that didn't lean into any details I had two that just wanted anything that I could give them that, you know, they could latch onto because they wanted to find their true loves and they wanted to build temples and they wanted to, you know, rise up in in church hierarchy and they had all these, you know, detailed plans. And then I had one who was so unmotivated that he other <laughs> than getting into a fight and having fun with the actual fight, he didn't even want to make decisions about his character. He wanted me to tell him the meta arc of his character (laughs) so that he knew where his barbarian was at when the initiative started. It was almost like he wanted a backstory, but he didn't want to do any details for the backstory. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was kind of challenging to juggle, you know, those, those three different styles of players. The nice thing was, is the player that didn't latch on too much that I threw out at him still had fun as long as they got to see other people at the table having fun. Yeah. And the player that, Kind of wanted you to uh, tell him what his motivation was all the time. He didn't have a lot of fun because literally he was only really having fun as soon as the initiative rolled and he was attacking something. It's really tricky. And I think sometimes it's just learning where people's tolerances are because there are people that don't want to engage in the story at all. But in a four hour session, if you gave them a fight that lasted at least a half an hour, they can quote unquote put up with the rest of the campaign because they got what they wanted out of the evening.
0: This is something I've debated in the past with various folks. It's one of the biggest reasons why we recommend a session zero. The GM and the players need to be on the same page about what general type of game they're going to be running and playing. If the GM wants to run a deep intrigue game with political machinations between noble houses but the players just want to relax from their heavy workload and punch a monster in the face once in a while, no one's going to be really happy in that game. The players aren't going to be happy because they don't want to engage with that type of story, and the GM's not going to be happy because they're doing all this work that the players are ignoring. So you definitely want to have a Session Zero and make sure that the game you are trying to run is the game that your players want to play. Now, I do think it is possible to blend styles with players at the table. Like Jared said, he had one player who wasn't that interested in engaging in the actual story, but he was still having a blast because he got to see other people having fun, and he got to do the things he wanted to do. Different players are going to be interested in different things. So it's your job as the GM to make sure that there's something everyone can enjoy and the game can still be fun for everyone. And if you're a player, if the GM is presenting something to you, you should try and engage with it. You've agreed to be in that game. As Jared teased me about after I got done with my <laughs> uh, my campaign journal, that City of Cowls campaign is, oh, that is that is my wine and cheese. I love this game so much. I am so deeply invested in my character Dove, and all the other characters in that party. It's just such a delightful thing to get to be a part of. I don't want to say anything bad about the Undermountain campaign because it's a lot of fun. Our characters are a blast in that game. But when it comes down to it, the rest of the players like to debate and kind of drag their feet about what we're getting involved in and I don't want to get frustrated with that type of play. So I hang back and just kind of lean into the beer and pretzels style play. Also, my friend Scott, he and I have this running thing where all of his NPCs are jerks. He's trying <laughs> to get better about it. But one of the reasons I hang back on getting engaged too much with the, the actual kind of narration you know, the the role playing in those games is because I know that I can start to get frustrated with the way all of his NPCs come across. So it's more fun for me to just hang back and let that game happen. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy that game. It's just a different style of game for that particular situation.
1: You know, it's interesting when you talk about like the NPCs that are jerks. (laughs) I'm also wondering if that's not kind of an artifact of earlier versions of D&D as well because your NPCs were people that were in a spot where your PCs went to recover things between sessions you weren't necessarily supposed to care about them or engage with them but the DM might want to make them memorable just so that it wasn't you hand waving going back into town so in lieu of deep role playing you remember this merchant because he's a big massive jerk (laughs)
0: In one of Scott's very early campaigns, it got to the point where I was like, we have no reason to help these people. This village is asking us to do something for them, but they're treating us like dirt. Why on earth would we engage with anything they're asking us to do? Campaign kind of died right after that because things kind of fell apart, but it was... It was something Scott and I have talked about, and, you know, again, that's a whole other topic of, you know, how to make your NPCs interesting and varied, something your players can engage with, both on a, they're a jerk level, and hey, this is a person I will defend to the death. It's a thing.
1: We should bring this up at some other time, but, like, having reviewed a bunch of, you know, 5th edition adventures, one of my biggest criticisms of some third-party adventures are, They are still written in that style of, hey, you need to save this town full of people that are all
0: jerks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's almost written into how the characters are portrayed. It's like they have secrets and they're not secrets that are nice secrets. It's that, you know, this person is screwing over this person. This person is secretly. uh, And I'm like, okay, I realize there are innocent people in this town, but the faces of the town, the people with names that have role playing information are all jerks. So why are you going to want to save this town? Yeah. And actually, that's something I kind of want to pat Wizards on the back for, because a lot of Wizards adventures are much better now about presenting you with NPCs and locations that are not jerks that you are likely to engage with and really like. So therefore, you kind of want to help them out. Not every NPC, but a lot of times when they do present a home base, they are presenting you know people that are not going out of their way to be complete a-holes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's important to have a mixture of NPCs. Again, that's a whole other topic. You know, it basically leads into why I consider the City of Kyle's campaign wine and cheese, and I consider the Undermountain game beer and pretzels. So now that we've talked about the various styles, what style do you prefer now?
1: See, what's really funny is my knee jerk is, like we were saying earlier, That whole idea of it being wine and cheese or not just a beer and pretzel game. I think we almost get defensive because it's a game. So we want to say, oh, it's a game. I don't want to take it too seriously. And we tell ourselves, oh, yeah, I'm I'm probably closer to beer and pretzels, even though I didn't want to say, for example, our Midgard game is wine and cheese because it's just like this knee jerk reflex to say, oh, we're not that uh, (laughs) we're not that highbrow. I look and see that I have spreadsheets of NPCs (laughs) and where they live and how they are connected to the PCs. I am definitely much more leaning towards the the wine and cheese side of things than I am beer and pretzels.
0: Yeah, I can enjoy pretty much any style of play with the right people, but my favorites are always going to be the ones where the story is rich and the character interactions are fun and meaningful. There's a reason I keep raving about Dove and the City of Cows campaign. At the same time, I still love getting to kick ass and take some names in a fight like the time that Dove dropped her ice version of a fireball on a room full of fire-based demon goons and took all of them out but one. It's D&D, so I want to roll that D20 or the fistful of D6s for the damage, uh, but it's the character relationships and the story that are going to make the game stand out and last in my memory. I guess you could say I want that charcuterie board followed up with some Pepsi Zero. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I, I honestly think that's that's really where a lot of this comes down to. We have a tendency when we define things to think that things fit entirely within those definitions. Yeah. Most things in life fit kind of in the definitions that we come up with, and they spill out in places.
0: I rail constantly against social media pushing a binary on any given topic, so I don't want to push a binary of your game is either beer and pretzels or wine and cheese every game is going to be somewhere in the middle of those two ideas or you know as jared said there's a whole other z axis or something and there's other factors that are making your game what it is
1: you know another thing that came up just as we were talking about this and i don't know if this is as true of people that have adopted the game in recent years but i think there was there's almost a stigma with some of us about how we weren't supposed to take the game more seriously. So we almost intentionally were trying to either like it ironically or to find (laughs) reasons to like basically make it less serious than we wanted it to be. For one thing, it's growing up in the satanic panic. It was like, you don't, don't get too involved in that game. Well, I like it, but I don't like it like it. Oh yeah. You know? (laughs) So there, there was almost a stigma of, (laughs) getting too involved in the game.
0: Or the people you would meet who were that involved in the game were kind of scary. Yes. Because all they could talk to you was about their version of raceland or Dritz and what they were doing. And there's a reason the idea of somebody telling you about their character is cringe. Yes. It's actually not. I tell you about my characters all the time and you guys keep coming back to listen to me <laughs> Um But... There's people out there who don't know how to dial it back. Yeah. And so it ends up becoming, I need to get out of this conversation. And back in the 80s and early 90s, there was a lot of that with the people who took their games too seriously. And so it kind of created this, well, don't take it too seriously. It's just D&D.
1: Yeah. And, And I think part of that even goes back to the idea that people were filling in details of their characters that were not connected to the game or to other players. So all of those details you were hearing were about how awesome they are because of all these details that have nothing to do with interacting with other people or with a story. It was just, these are all the awesome things that I sat in my room and decided were true about this character.
0: (laughs) I mentioned the whole, the the rules light games that are, you know, the kind of the epitome of the wine and cheese ideal Mm -hmm. of it is just about the character and the story and all that. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of that, too, even if there is a little highbrow looking down upon games like Mm D&D. It's all gaming. We're here to play pretend like adults, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It doesn't matter if it's, you know, this indie game where we're just burning little tea light candles and burning paper, (laughs) or we're sitting here with our polyhedrals and rolling dice to defeat a dragon. We're all here playing pretend, Okay. It's just some of us take it in that storytelling in different directions. Like, that's what I'm here for.
1: Yeah, definitely. So let's crack open a Pepsi Zero and uh, go into downtime research. <laughs> <laughs> no time for rest, you two. Get out with your downtime research. So every episode, we're going to look for something related to D&D that we want to pass along to our listeners. It might be products, websites, videos, or podcasts but it will always be something that we think will enhance your D&D experience.
0: So recently at a convention, a friend was lamenting about the waste of paper he was burning through with the index cards he was using for a game because he would keep writing things on the index cards to hand out to players. Since he didn't know about these, I thought I would bring them up here as something to share with you guys as an alternative to those paper index cards. Dry erase cards. Um, You can get a pack of dry erase markers and a pack of these dry erase cards. They come in a variety of sizes. I have a bunch that are ID badge size because that's what I was able to get my hands on. Mm -hmm. But I am going to include a link to some from Apostrophe Games that are playing card size. My buddy, once I suggested this to him, he went out and found a bunch that are actually index card size. So they can just fit right in his pack where he used to keep the index cards. But they are a great way to write down quick notes to put out on the table for your players. Um, Just do a Google search for dry erase cards and you'll find a bunch of them. But it's it's a cool addition to your gaming bag.
1: Definitely. And I'm looking over at my shelves right now and I have the index card size and the uh, playing card size both sitting (laughs) over there on my shelves.
0: You can also actually find table tents that are also dry erase.
1: I actually have that just underneath the index card sized ones over <laughs> in this shelf here. <laughs> um, so this time around, I wanted to bring up that in addition to Darrington Press's Tal'Darim Reborn, there's new third party products on D&D Beyond. Layers of Atharis, which is a bunch of monster layers from level one through twenty, and Dungeons of Drakenheim, which is a sandbox style adventure exploring a ruined city while you're. Dealing with a bunch of other factions that are also exploring the ruins. Those are both available now. The common element between them is both products were originally published by Ghostfire Gaming. Dungeons of Drakenheim is a thing that they published for another uh, company. But they're both through Ghostfire Gaming. And that's really interesting to me because Ghostfire Gaming has not really done much when it comes to VTTs. But they now have products up on both Demiplane Nexus and D&D Beyond. So it's really interesting to see this ecosystem starting to evolve where I don't know, maybe some companies are going to completely cut out VTTs, but they still feel a need to have a digital presence somewhere with their products. Also, all of these, uh, products, uh, or at least all the layers Dungeons of Drakenheim is available for pre-order, but it's not up yet, but the layers of Atharis, looking at that is not only play up but games. You can everything ranging from beer and pretzels the, casual um, to D&D deeply Beyond. immersive wine and cheese uh, style games that they have going on and everything in between so essentially they we have in between of, and then we were <laughs> at, jumped into the vtt market by jumping into D beyonds kind of side foray into maps because <laughs> all of this is loaded up you have all of those maps if you own it you can pull up the maps from layers of atharis and run your encounters through D beyonds map function. So. We live in interesting times.
0: We do live in interesting times. I wish they weren't so interesting sometimes, but there you go.
1: And I also wish that some products were not spread out over so many different websites because yeah. I don't want to buy them multiple times, and I want them to play nice with each other. Yeah. Um. It does also make you wonder what other third-party companies are going to start showing up on D and D Beyond because for a while people were thinking Darren Compress. That's just because it's Critical Roles imprint. And they already have an, an existing relationship with dnds so that's probably why they ended up on there but now this is another company that has their third-party material up on there so that feels like they are building momentum towards getting more stuff onto D beyond that isn't just people that they've had a previous relationship with
0: that is pretty interesting the future just keeps on coming and coming and doesn't <laughs> slow down so we'll see where it goes eventually maybe I don't know.
1: I guess it means that when we're in the retirement home playing D&D, we're going to have to have internet access. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying here. <laughs>
0: I mean, we're going to have to have internet access in the retirement home anyway.
1: That's true. I, I couldn't live without that. Though.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of a given. So we are happily part of the Misdirected Mark Productions Network. So we wanted to give a shout out to another MMP show. If you are enjoying us, consider
1: checking out the Gnomecast: cast several gnomes from gnome stew get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and to avoid being thrown in the stew and you might hear familiar voices on that podcast from time to time as well <laughs> if you like the Gnomecast, cast you should probably also be reading gnome stew it's a great blog with new content every week and if you're interested in writing a guest article there's a submission form for you to pitch your idea
0: the solstice approaches the nights are growing longer and as we approach all kinds of celebrations and obligations, we are going to take a short break. After this episode, we'll be waiting until the new year for more fun, so the next regular episode should come out around January 10th. We have used up all of our resources, so I think it's time for a long rest. I hope this adventure was rewarding for you, and we hope you go exploring with us when we start our next adventure.